Welcome, everybody, back to the show. If you've been listening lately, we've been kind of mixing in some uh, of our regular discussion episodes, but we're playing a new game. And uh, Jacob and I, hey, Jacob, what's going on? Hey, not too much, Michael. How about you, man? I don't know. That was an awkward intro. I wish I had thought it out before I said it. I never plan these out, really. Uh, basically, me and Jacob, <laughs> we pick like one or two cartoons per episode, and we discuss it. And we have guests on every once in a while, but I've been feeling like this is our show. This isn't my show where you guest most of the time. This is our show. Uh, you've been with me since the very first episode, and it's been three years almost. And uh, I figured it's kind of stupid, unless you absolutely refuse to discuss a cartoon. Uh, it's stupid for me to add other people into it. But I like mixing it up a little bit here and there. So I came up with a new game. Basically, it's the perfect Saturday morning. What if... You had your own television network, and you were in charge of Saturday morning programming. You could have a choice of anything animated, any genre, any decade, primetime, morning, syndicated, anything. We're talking even puppets, because technically that's animated. It's not hand-drawn, but it's, it's animated. So it's uh, um, Playmation, you know, that's uh, done by hand as well. So you can have anything you want, maximum of 10 shows. Basically, you're talking like 7 to noon or 8 to noon. And you put together the program and whatever, and then uh, we discuss it on an episode. So if you're interested in doing the show, let us know. Um, last time we had Ken Reed on, uh, his episode was the most successful first-run episode ever. I cannot believe that it, it hit the numbers that it did. So obviously people are interested in it. So uh, I'm going to do an episode of my side. You can kind of understand how it works. Uh, Jacob's going to do his next time, and then we'll have guests on from there on out. And we'll kind of intermix those episodes while me and Jacob do our normal episodes. Especially, like, some of the hardcore fans just want us to keep discussing, like, you know, go through our list of great cartoons. We're, we're like historians. Do you feel like that? Yeah, actually. God, you know, you're kind of right. I feel like we are freaking... What's the right word? What is Indiana Jones? Archaeologists of animation. Archaeologists. Shit, we should change Yeah, pretty name. much. That's what we are. We shouldn't be back in tunes. See, I don't know why we call ourselves Back in Tunes. For some reason, I was thinking of, like, Back in Time, you know, like, uh, Back to the Future, and I started thinking Back in Time, Tunes, Back in Tunes. But now I feel like we should be, like, the archaeologists of animation. Shit! Uh, we're three years in. I can't change it now. <laughs> kind of oh, wow. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Animate, yeah, animation archaeologists. That would work. Uh, but basically what we do is we first started discussing just, like, shows that we knew really well, but then people started suggesting cartoons to us that we had never seen before. We're basically, the plan is, from first episode to last, and hopefully this goes on for many, many years to come, uh, we get to d dig into like every single scrap bit of animation, every obscure show, maybe some pilot episodes, uh, movies, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, we've only scratched the surface, dude. You realize we're like almost to our 100th episode, and we barely scratched the surface of what's out there. Oh, yeah, I know. There's ways to... I don't think... Yeah, we haven't covered shit, really. We still haven't <laughs> even covered Tick, have we? I know. That's probably going to be our next episode. I don't know if... Uh, yeah, I think we were discussing doing the Tick and probably uh, something else surreal and weird, like Earthworm Jim. Oh, my God, that too. Jeez. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> we discuss these things sometimes. We have literally had episodes on our list, and like two years later we're going, oh, shit, we forgot to do that one. Uh, we should... Yeah, let's go ahead. Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's do it. I know. I want to discuss Tick and Earthworm Jim so badly. Especially Tick. Oh, God. Boom! Oh, man. Okay, so, the list. 
Um, I'm a cheater. This is my show, so I can make up whatever rules I want to. Uh, I was going to do a list of everything animated from any genre or any genre, any era, and I found myself with about 30 shows. I would be watching TV from like 7 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night, and that's that's not how it works. But uh, I decided to set my own rules, and Jacob, you can play by these rules too since this is your show as well. Uh, I made a list mm. of all the cartoons that I would program pre-1980, and then I would do another list that's 1980 to now. Oh, wow. All right, so this. Yeah, you know that would kind of make sense. That does give me an idea. Yeah, it's too much. It's it's too few shows. Uh, I mean, too many shows to fit into such a, to- a small time slot. Uh, so this episode, I'm only doing the pre 1980s. Maybe sometime down the road, I'll do post 1980s. Um, but if you're ready, I'm ready. There's clearly yeah, a dude, delay. let's go. There is totally a delay in this. We never have a delay. No, no, there isn't. Well, yeah, that's my fault because I'm kind of. I was just overlooking something real quick. Are you masturbating while yeah. we're all recording? Is that what you're doing? It's like cartoons. <laughs> no, I don't masturbate when I'm on the phone with anybody. That's too fucking distracting. <laughs> I need full concentration for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's start the morning off right. Um, I would like to start the morning off with something that I'm very comfortable with that I don't have to think too much about, but it gets me laughing, gets the lungs open, you know, your eyes open, you're, you're awake, you can pay attention to the rest of the cartoons. So I'm going to start the morning off with Looney Tunes, but not the normal Looney Tunes that everybody knows. There was, for about eh, 20, 15 years, a syndicated version of the Looney Tunes show by AAP. Now, AAP was like a subdivision of MGM. And they would gather up all the cartoons that weren't part of the main character. You know, you know how when you would watch the Looney Tunes uh, Roadrunner Hour on Saturday mornings, it was all the major characters. You know, it was Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote and, and, and Daffy Duck and you know, Bugs Bunny, all the really popular characters. You remember that, right? Right. Okay, so this yes, was the course. oddball cartoons. These are the ones that weren't really around a well-known character. Uh, a lot of them were very old ones from the 30s and 40s. The ones that you can't find on DVD that nobody airs anymore. That's what I want to watch. I don't know. Which ones were those? Oh, God. Well, do you remember, like, the travelogue ones think. where it was like, uh, they, they would go into a store and there'd be the little mouse on the track or whatever, and he'd show them around the store and they'd those animated bits, whatever. And there's a little mouse going, Hey, mister! Hey, mister! Hey, mister! And the old mouse would be like, You bother me, Sean! You bother me! Go away! Oh, yeah. Or kind of like how. Oh my gosh, there was that one big old bulldog, and then there was this little dog, like, pr- prancing around him, be like, hey, hey, Spike, what do you do today, Spike? And then he'd just smack him and say, shut up. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, those ones. Like, or it was like the very early, like, Bugs Bunny when he was ugly hair, you know, or Daffy Duck when he was completely insane, you know, that was the early era of Looney Tunes. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of World War II cartoons. There was one with a little black bird, and this little kid trying to hunt him. And the bird was like, do 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 And he was like hopping along, and the little kid was trying to kill the bird, and he was so clever. Yeah, that's what I'd start my morning off with. You know, something unusual like that. Something I haven't seen a billion times. As much as I love the real Looney Tunes show, you know, like the one that was aired on ABC for decades, you know, with all the big budget, high quality animation from the 50s. Uh, I want to start my morning off with that one. Oh, God, yeah, no. It's always good to go with something classic and funny. That way, like, get everybody's, like, you know, route, get everybody a little, like, you know, jumped up, everybody in a good mood, you know. As long as you're not, you know, 
pulling a Game of Thrones on them where all of a sudden you put in this really sad, depressing cartoon at the end. <laughs> and then you're just, you know, you feel like your whole Saturday just went to hell. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, God, they all died. It's a red cartoon. The red wedding. <laughs> Why? <laughs> all right, so my second show at 8.30 is going to be Pink Panther and Friends. Now, this is a collection of the animated shorts that were in theaters, for the most part. Um, it would be combined with Anthony Aardvark and uh, uh, the frog. The, the Shit, I should have looked this up before I said it. They're, uh, a Tijuana Toads. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. No, no, that's a different one. Tijuana Toads. Uh, Pink Panther, there was like a series of cartoons that were all collected up into one show. And, and here's the reason why I get fond for Pink Panther. This is fucked up, people. Okay, I'm just going to let you know this is fucking weird. Um, it's not so much that I love the animation. It's not so much that it's really that funny. It's comfort food. Uh, when I was six years old in first grade, I went outside to play in the playground, and I got a hideous earache. I didn't cover it up, just hideous earache, and I went home that night and was in so much pain, and I was, like, doped up, and I was watching Pink Panther, and I have vivid memories of that afternoon, and whenever I watch Pink Panther now, for some reason I get nostalgic for what apparently is a horrible thing to remember. I don't get it. I don't understand myself. Oh. That's messed up. I know that's uh, messed up. You are a mysterious fig, Mike. <laughs> that's why I like you. <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird memory that I love to revisit, except for the pain part. So like, oh, yeah, I was just cozy in bed in the winter. Mom was taking care of me, getting some soup, you know, and some, you know, I'm pretty sure I was on some good uh, uh, painkiller, and I was just giggling to myself with these silly cartoons. Oh, they help you get through the sick time. Yeah, it just I shows how wonderful cool. and important they are. Yes. All right, so 9 o'clock, I hit it up with another classic cartoon collection, Woody Woodpecker and Friends. Uh, mostly I just oh, like fuck yes. but I like Chili Willy. Who doesn't love Chili Willy? Of course not. How could anyone hate Chili Willy? If anybody hated Chili Willy, then fuck you. <laughs> All right, just get the fuck out. <laughs> you know, and it's still to this day I find myself watching a lot of the latter-day Woody Woodpeckers, you know, when the budget started to drop like crazy. Did you know that Woody Woodpecker is the last... Uh, continuous series of animation to be in theaters. Like, 1972, I think, is when it ended with Chili Con Corny, and everybody else had given up years before, but they just kept going. Universal Studios was like, we're just going to keep chucking these out, throw them in front of the movies, and, and I, for a long time, they, they played. Oh, yeah, no, they did. I I, I think going back, uh, watching, um, you know, like some of those animated uh, Disney shorts that we saw, like the classic Goofy ones and classic Donald Duck yeah, yeah. ones, they would play those before the movies, like, instead of, like, you know, movie trailers. I wish they'd do that now, because we just went and saw Civil War, and I had to sit through a half hour of commercials and trailers I've seen over and over. Why can't they bring back the short film? Uh, it doesn't have to be animated. Just bring, a sh there's hundreds of short films made every year. Throw them out there. Let me see them. It works for Pixar. I, oh, for sure. Good God, yes, it does. I, and then there was also, freaking, I'm so sick, whenever I go to the theater, I always see this one about, all these kids on their phone and the guy narrating saying like, hey, look at me. I'm more important than the big screen you came here for, but not for the strong, strong willed who came here for popcorn, soda, and this movie you're about to watch. Oh, I'm so sick of seeing that one. I have one with M&Ms because they're pretending that you're in a movie and the guy's trying to undo a bomb that's going to blow up all the M&Ms and a phone keeps going off and he goes, And then a cell phone rings. You just ruined the movie. This is why we don't make films. You know, he walks off the screen. He's like, oh, does he know that we're still tied up? 
Yeah, no, there'd be those too. I'm sick of seeing that one. I want, I do want variety. Oh, wait, I, I want like wait, classic wait, animation. Don't even I want bring, Mickey yeah, and Donald back. Don't even do the new ones. If that's not too expensive, don't do the new ones. Just bring back the classics. Show me an old school uh, Looney Tunes cartoon or a Tom and Jerry or something, a Tex Avery. Throw that in front of a movie. Warm the audience yeah, exactly. up, man. Warm them up. <laughs> and it make them feel nostalgic and happy again, making them want it even more. Yeah, I worked at a network. Uh, I went to a drive-in around 2003. We went and saw um, Signs and Rain of Fire. Oh, it was 2002. And they were still showing the uh, Woody Woodpecker shorts between movies. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, they're preserved. I don't know how it, it lasted for so long. you think that print would fall apart after 20 or 30 years, but it still stayed together. Oh, my God. Oh. I mean, for a long time, like, as a kid, you know, Woody Woodpecker was funny. Nowadays, as an adult, you're like, God damn, you're annoying. I want you to fucking die. I wish Elmer Fudd would just blow you away right now. <laughs> All right, so my next show at 930 is a little more complicated. You know, the, the humor's a little more layered. Uh, not so much comfort food. Well, it is comfort food because I remember watching it all the time as a child, but it, it makes you think a little bit more. It is Underdog and Friends. Uh, and these are all like, I, when I keep saying and friends, it's because it was more than just Underdog, which originally I think was by itself. This is when they started packaging it up for syndication is what I experienced and what you probably experienced. This is when it had like uh, the hunter, you know, the guy that would uh, brag, or was it General McBrag? Wait, who's the one that was always like making up all his war stories? Like they were so insane. I'm pretty sure it was Jeremy. Oh, Brown. my God. There was Go, Go, Gophers, uh, stuff like that. And uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, there was a couple others. Uh, Aesop's Fables was part of Rocky and Bullwinkle. That almost got on my list, too. I absolutely adore uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, but I had to make a choice. And I figured, well, you know what? Oh, uh, Tennessee Tuxedo was also part of this. Hmm. Do you remember any of this at all? Not really, no. Some of those cartoons, I... Don't remember, I don't think I've seen. Okay. Other than some curious. of the classics we discussed before. Well, we'll do a lot of these shows later on as we go back and examine full. Uh, you know, like we watch a handful of the cartoon and kind of come back and give our discussion about it. This is kind of like a touch base on how to play the game. Not everybody wants to discuss like a cartoon for our half hour like we do, but this is a way to have a guest on the show and they can just go, oh yeah, well, I'll pick these five shows or whatever and we'll discuss those. Uh, so it's not required that you yeah. know all these cartoons, but definitely Underdog is something we do later. I thought we did Underdog, though. Oh. Didn't we? I don't know. I have a feeling we did, too. I did watch Underdog. I watched that with, like, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. I watched that with uh, Hong Kong Fui. I also watched that with um, Rocky and Bullwinkle. No, we did Rocky and Bullwinkle. We most definitely did not do Hong Kong Fui, though. We talked about doing it. You might have watched it, but we never actually got around to doing it. No. And we got to pair that up with another martial arts uh, cartoon. Yeah, like Jackie, Jackie Chan, Chan Adventures yeah. or something. <laughs> or how about Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos? Oh, God. I'll have to watch that one then. I'll, see, <laughs> it's, I'll, it's I'll try to stomach that it's, one. It's so shitty. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, so my next show is at 10 o'clock. It's The Flintstones. How, how can you go wrong with The Flintstones? Oh, yeah. You know what's weird? Is I was watching The Flintstones again for the first time, uh, like from the very, very beginning. And I didn't realize the pilot episode, that the guy playing Barney isn't Barney. It's something totally different. It throws the whole show off. I don't know. It's because I'm used to Barney's voice sounding like, Hey, Bart. You know? Um, this is like, hey there, buddy. Hey, Fred. Hey, buddy. This is like, Ma, hey. Yeah, it was really Ah, jeez, Fred. Why do you got to do something like that? And Fred's voice wasn't completely almost like there the... yet. It was one of those almost, like the pilot episode must have been just a test to see if anybody would pick it up and they aired it anyway. 
But uh, once it gets like halfway into the first season, it's completely golden. And, and I didn't realize it was on for so many years. And it's, uh, I even like the movies, like the live action movies. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Oh, gosh. The live action movie captured that cartoon perfectly. All right. So my next one at 1030 is the perfect companion piece to Flintstones. It's the Jetsons. Get me off this crazy thing. <laughs> Jen, get me off this crazy thing. We still haven't seen a live action version of that. No. Come on, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, what up with that? He keeps playing with us. I think he gave up. He does it. He'll grab a project he works on for a while and then just go, nah, I'm done. I'm moving on. I haven't seen him do anything worse. I mean, does he really want to keep making machete movies? Really? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even think I even saw the first one. Nah, I, I saw both. I went to the theater and saw the first one. I thought it was entertaining, but not that entertaining. The second one was like, oh, shit, this is a waste of time. What? I was like, I don't know why he's got to throw in so many, like, sexualized characters either. I mean, you know, bringing in Alexa Vega. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's she's great, but I'm like, come on. It's it's a typical Robert Rodriguez, yeah, you know, freaking exploitation I movie. I almost don't want him to do the Jetsons because he always does these movies on the super cheap. And people always say, oh, it's so clever. I go, no, it looks like it costs 12 bucks. these special effects. Yeah, I, I know. That's, I know. You look at, like, all the Spy Kids movies and Sharkboy and Lava Girl. They were cheap as fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sharkboy and Lava Girl. That's a terrible movie. So I, I almost prefer that he doesn't do the Flintstones or the Jetsons. Uh, and, and the yeah. funny thing is the Jetsons were not anywhere nearly as successful as the Flintstones. It was only on for one season. But it sold so well in syndication in the 80s, post-Star Wars, that they started redoing the Jetsons, and they added to the package. So there's like four seasons, I think, in the 80s, and it was added to the first season. They were so phenomenally popular, they did that movie in 1990, which I did see in the theater. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, it was a good movie. Then there was one where they did cross over with the Flintstones. Yeah, I remember that. That was really good. That was a big deal. That's a multiverse right there. Pretty much, yeah. No, that was awesome. I was like, wait, so the Flintstones are the past? Wait. Like, way back in the caveman days of the Jetsons? Yeah, do you realize that Looney Tunes is the first multiverse? Everybody's talking, oh, yeah, Marvel, they're huge. No, uh, Looney Tunes did it first, buddy. Warner Brothers got to it first. You pretty much ripped off Warner, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> All right, 11 o'clock. We just mentioned this, Hong Kong Fooey. This was a yes. terror in my heart. I was like, Captain Caveman or Hong Kong Fooey? Because something about him, they kind of feel like the same style. Like, you know, he's like rough, you know, like, oh, he's a janitor. He does Kung Fu. Captain Caveman clearly is a very unkempt superhero. Both of them are very, very uh, humorous and appealing. But I had to go with Hong Kong Fooey because of Scatman Crothers. How can you deny that voice? Oh, of course. No, you can't deny the voice, especially in freaking Transformers when he was the voice of Jazz. The, the, there was a, a test animated short or whatever for Hong Kong Fooey. Uh, uh, they're going to do a movie of it with Eddie Murphy doing the voice. And I don't know whatever happened. If they changed their mind, no one ever actually said it was canceled. It just kind of disappeared. I know. It's like, come on. That would I think Eddie Murphy would have been perfect for that movie. Honestly. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know why they I changed mean, their mind. I know. It's like, gosh, Eddie Murphy, what have you done? What have you done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. They just, he's counting his money. Just sitting at home, piles of money like Scrooge McDuck swimming through a pool. <laughs> <laughs> Practically. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, he's, he was seriously like, he and Joe Piscopo saved Saturday Night Live during the 80s. He had a great movie career. Still made a lot of money, even from, even from his shitty ones. And, uh, he just gave up. Yeah, I know. I think he just got like, tired. He just, 
Well, I've heard that he doesn't even want to be himself. He he's afraid of being Eddie Murphy. That he just that's why he puts on so much makeup for his roles. He gets to disappear. And you know, I I heard that he's going to be in the new Richard Pryor biography where he's going to play his like uncle or something like that. Uh, but that's all I've heard. They keep teasing us with Beverly Hills Cop Four. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I don't know if it is. I kind of I kind of don't want it to. <laughs> <laughs> especially after three but yeah, um three, as far as it goes for uh oh god three he it's like he didn't even want to be there you can see the whole time everybody's sweating it's just like i don't care yeah but as far as uh for him to do hong kong flu yeah no i think if that was to come back as an animated movie i mean come on underdog gotta come back even though that sucked yeah that really I mean, yeah, no, it's like, seriously, I mean, you should at least give a shot with Hong Kong Fooey, see how that'll do. Hong Kong Fooey! It's right around the time that song, yeah, of course. Uh, everybody was kung fu fighting. It, it, it was, it was uh, kung fu exploitation around that time, just crazy. I know, everybody getting this whole nostalgic feel for it. I mean, Enter the Dragon. Oh, God. And the rise of Chuck Norris. And, uh, oh. I like there was something else. And Elvis started doing karate moves on stage. Everybody's like kung fu crazy. Oh, there's a TV show, Kung Fu. What am I thinking of? Oh, that too? Yeah, yeah, the one David Carradine. <laughs> I forgot about that. that. Yeah, was it, I think that was actually Bruce Lee's idea. And he was trying to get him, he, was, um, he wanted to be the star of it. But of course, Hollywood had to whitewash that shit. Yeah, well, David Carradine took another role of his. It was called Circle of Iron. Uh, him and James Coburn, Bruce Lee and James Coburn were writing it, and they were going to be in it. And then, you know, of course, Bruce Lee died. And then years later, it got refer, uh, resurfaced or whatever, and they offered it to David Carradine. He's like, sure, why not? I've already, you know, taken a role from Bruce Lee anyway, so why not? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, but then I think Enter the Dragon really solidified Bruce Lee's history. Oh, yeah. I, I pretty much, actually, I, all, of, I, all of his movies were great. I loved every single one of them. <laughs> Except Game of Death, where he's in it for like two minutes at the beginning and like five minutes at the end. There's literally a sequence where someone has a cut-out face of Bruce Lee taped to his own. He's pretending to be him. It's like, what are you doing? You can clearly see it's a cardboard mask. <laughs> it's, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Watch Game that... of Death. There's a sequence where he looks in the mirror at himself, and it's a guy wearing a mask of Bruce Lee. It's insane. Yeah, no, that was the uh, least favorite. Bruce I don't know if I, I, I don't even know if I can call it that. All right. I love Big Boss. I like Big Balls. What? Oh, you said Boss. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. That you took it somewhere weird. That's how it usually goes. Well, when it comes to when it when it comes to Big Balls, you know, like if I was getting a nice ball of chocolate, you know, <laughs> okay, and I wanted yeah, it to melt ball. over my ice cream, then yes, I do love them. You a like lot. Ball. You see, like big balls in your mouth. Taking a big old ball, popping it right in. Suck on my chocolate, salt and ball. <laughs> All right. So my final selection for the perfect Saturday morning, pre-1980. I'm just going to end it with uh, a bunch of Tex Avery cartoons. I just want to watch the wild, crazy. MGM only really cherishes their Tom and Jerry cartoons, but they had Tex Avery for years. And he was turning out like some of the best animation, and uh, I just want to watch them. There are a lot of just really great stuff that you cannot find in America. Oh, no. I mean, I, he came out with Droopy Dog. He came out with uh, the wolf and the red-haired wolf and the... Uh, well, I always like the name? ones I like the ones that would examine, uh, like, oh, modern TV. Oh, what's the new house like? Hey, let's, you know, travel logs and stuff like that. He used to do those for Warner Brothers as well. 
I just really enjoy his style and uh, the crazy animation. Just so funny. Oh yeah, I know. I love how wacky and out there, wacky and um, out there it was. Oh, what was that one where? Um, oh jeez, it was the one we discussed. It's where the wolf like was bringing up someone to his room, and yet it turned out not to be who he thought it was, and he kept trying to get away from him to the point where he just like jumped out his window. I want to say that's still part of the Red Hot Riding Hood series. There's like five of those where the wolf was always getting it like, oh, he it was first him, and then he was bringing his country cousin, and I think that's what it was. And one of them turned out to be kind of insane, and uh, she wouldn't leave him alone. It was kind of like a female Pepe Le Pew. Um, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yo, you're right. It was the Red Hot Riding Hood. It was, it was one of those. They did a lot of those, and uh, it was I think it was towards the end when he was running out of ideas. And, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, he should be championed, his stuff should be collected and put on disc, and it's just not available, and I have no idea why. I know, this is, like, something you'd have to bring to Kevin Smith's attention to, like, help preserve it. <laughs> somebody in it, or, um, somebody more pseudo, Kevin Smith does do animated stuff, but I'm talking more like Jerry Beck. You know, he's, like, the king of animation preservation and commentary and facts. If you don't know who Jerry Beck is, check out Cartoon Research on Facebook or his website, he has been doing this for almost 50 years now, like making animation noticed, making people understand why it's important. Oh my God, I know. It is. I, there's always so much you can do with um, live television, you know, and live action. But with cartoons, like anything can, pretty much anything goes. Anything. Just like and that song. It, yeah, and the budget doesn't have to be a massive beast. You know, you can tackle these things that won't be uh, feasible fi uh, financially. You know, in a live-action way, but animation is just like we'll just draw it. We're good. I almost went to Christopher Walken. Oh, I know. We'll draw it. We're good. Yeah. Or a little bit more like John Travolta. Hey, Sandy, you can't just walk out in a drive-in movie. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. Hey. I don't know. I hey, the book. you're talking to the wrong tone there. <laughs> you do it again. Stab me in the face with a solder gun. <laughs> All right, so that brings me to the end of the perfect Saturday morning. Now you get the concept and everything. Uh, I'm, Jacob, I'm assuming you understood how this works. Yes? No? Mm? Yes, of course. Okay. Mine's only going to have, um, I'm going to involve like one or two classics. Yeah. But I'm, it's going to be a lot of the stuff I grew up with. Okay. And there's going to be, uh, there is going to be one anime cartoon from the 80s. Yeah, so I, I'm, a, I'm a greedy hog. I clearly could not do it in one Saturday morning, so I'll do a, my second part later down the road where I do post-1980 because I'm a dick. Uh, that is it. <laughs> and there's us. so many to choose from. So many dicks to choose from? No, no, not so. Well, if you were to think about it in the world, if you wanted to go global with this shit, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of dicks to choose from. Global but... <laughs> dick force! <laughs> We're on the attack. We're protecting you with our dicks. <laughs> Mighty penis laser. Fire. Watch your eye, lady. <laughs> Cover your eyes, please, if you don't want them to be burned alive. <laughs> but anyway, I said, plus there's just so many cartoons to choose from, man. I don't blame oh, you for cartoon. making such a big list. Yes, my favorite one is Captain Harry Palms. <laughs> Catch a hairy bomb, hairy bomb, lip bomb, bing bong, bing bong Crosby. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so check us out right. on Facebook under Back in Tunes, uh, or check us uh, around the world. We're on tour with United Dick Force. 
Yes, of course, for honorary members. <laughs> <laughs> Show them your badges. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> okay, Mike. All right, namaste and good luck, you guys. Michael? Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of filthy names what do you right now. One of them has to do with a brown eye. <laughs> not go- it's not golden eye. It's brown eye. <laughs> brown eye. <Okay. All> right. <laughs> 0069 in brown eye. All right, enough. All right, we're For some reason, I want ice cream. I don't know why. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>
Dark Horse did produce some of the episodes, but this is like uh, independent or creator owned uh, at his own like control. It's not a monthly comic. It's like sometimes just a once a year kind of comic the way he's. Um, I only read the first uh-huh. six issues. Uh, actually, technically seven. Because um, the first issue was done mm. twice with different stories. Um, but you've read, I'm guessing, probably more, way more. Yeah. By the way, the collection you read, did that also include the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Flaming Carrot series? No, the, the or was it just the the seven have, issues? Okay. Let me see what I, I read. Uh, the okay. first one, um, which was by Killian Barracks. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell that is. Maybe that's the publisher. And then well, I that's read... the publisher. That was. Okay. And then the, the <laughs> first four issues were done by Aardvark Vanaheim, um, which, of course, is the publisher of uh, Cerebus. Cerebus? How do you say it? I I always say Cerebus, but I, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> uh, and then um, five and six yeah, were you... by Renegade Press. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, that was because uh, Dave Sim, who was doing Cerebus, uh, broke up with his wife, and then his wife got the publishing rights to all the other comics that he was publishing. And so she called her thing Renegade Press that did Plenty Carrot and a few other things. Um, yeah, I guess that's boring. But anyway, that's Renegade no, Press. Oh, no, that's actually that entertaining, which tells you if you're creative, do not get married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all he kept was Cerebus. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, she may have made out with more money there, quite frankly. I'm not sure. Who knows? I don't know what else but. Renegade Press did. I should look that up. But um, in the 90s, switched mm-hmm. over to Dark Horse Comics, then later to Image. And I don't think he's doing them anymore. I think uh, it's. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think the last thing that came out was uh, like the last regular issue was 2005, and then there was like a photo issue. So it was like an old one of those old photo stories like Marvel used to do, oh. and uh, that was 2006, and that's it. I think. Yep. Yes. Kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. Uh, yeah, so the, yeah, it says the last issue was Image Comics 2006. What does this guy do? I mean, I'm sure he made some decent money off of Flaming Carrot. But not enough that you can retire. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just doing like his own independent stuff because I don't see what else he's. Uh, there's a lot of crossovers, surprisingly, in the '90s. Uh, yeah. Um, he did like a really awesome one with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where not only were they in his comic for three issues, but then they did a separate miniseries of uh, four issues. And I think he wrote both arcs, and uh, so it's kind of like you know his his absurd humor with the turtles uh yeah which was pretty awesome i think and he also did one with a character oh. that nobody knows but you gave me a few issues up and i, I thought they were astounding was <laughs> reed fleming world's toughest milkman <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah he did a, a little crossover with that too um but yeah speaking about the mainstream and everything i mean we're we're very nearly going into like underground comics here uh it, you know it started in a fanzine he always did it himself um, but one really interesting thing about it is that he had he he had a college degree, but he had no art training. Um, he just kind of you know wanted to do this, and he was actually a uh, comic collector. He was like a big time comic collector, at least like he was really passionate about it. Huh. And um, yeah, so I don't know if you know, he would go to all the conventions back then, the 80s and 90s. And but he would usually get a booth in the dealer room rather than with the creators because he was also selling his own stuff. <laughs> I mean, he was selling his like whatever Golden Age comics he had. He would he would write about it in the back of Flaming Carrot, and he'd be like, 
I'll be there with like some Silver Age stuff and a few tobacco cards and you know just all this miscellaneous crap that he'd been collecting and selling. He was big into like pulps and uh, big little books and all that stuff. Isn't that kind of weird for a, a big uh, comic creator? I guess because you tend not to hear stories <laughs> like that. But you know when you read Flaming Carrot, it seems like he got a lot of different types uh, absorbed. And, and, and barfed out. <laughs> That's the only word I can think of. Is, uh, you know, got this all into Flaming Carrot because it's not just a parody of superhero kind of stuff. There's noir in there. Um, there's just absurd dark humor. There's uh, sci-fi. There's all sorts of strange things going on in this. And it must have been all that 40s, 50s kind of um, entertainment that was available to him. Crazy concoction. Yeah, and, and actually the origin of Flaming Carrot is supposed to be that he, uh, Flaming Carrot, sat down one day and read 5,000 comics in, in one sitting and uh, uh, reemerged for, for, from then on as the Flaming Carrot. Yeah. So, like, he had this cocktail of comics in his brain, supposedly, is what made him turn into that. Yeah, it's funny. I'm reading <laughs> the first issue, not the, the official first issue, the one from Aardvark Vanheim. Um, and I didn't, mm -hmm. maybe I didn't read it close enough, but at first I thought that was his head. I was like, now how the hell does reading all these comics make his head turn into a parrot? And then I, I was like, oh wait, no, hold on, it's, it's just a mask. Okay, that makes much sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has kerosene uh, in the top of it, you know, constantly burning, like a little Olympic flame on his head. Uh, but yeah, it's just a, a big long mask. He also keeps a pogo stick in the bottom of it somehow. I would think he'd fall over all the time if yeah, that were real. Yeah, I was like, that and he would be oh, well. so hot. Just the heat provided by that flame <laughs> would, ooh, I'm a little sweaty yeah. here. Yeah. I'm going to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> um, he often seems on the verge of passing out, though, even when he's fighting villains. So, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that kind of works. And I also <laughs> thought that he was a moron, but not realizing that that's like a state that he can put himself in. I was like, reading those 5,000 comics maybe turned his brain to mush. No, he has zen stupidity. <laughs> he puts himself in a trance-like state, thinking he'll take off supervillains without fear. <laughs> I'm not sure I've heard it said quite that way, but yeah, it sounds pretty accurate. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a little bit simple-minded. I mean, he talks dif different than most people. He leaves out a lot of prepositions. He's like, uh, is good rather than that is good. Um, but he, how do I say, but he has a, a very good heart. Um, boy, it's tough to describe him. Like he's a little bit simple minded, but he like gets things done uh, regardless. Well, it seems like he, even better than a lot of regular. Yeah. Whatever pops in his head. Yeah. Out, it's, it's almost a little bit like Asperger's um, like that. The restraint, <laughs> that button that keeps from saying stuff he doesn't have. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, like a good example of the things he can come up with is, uh, in, I think in the first, one of the first issues of the Aardvark Vanaheim series, he, uh, well, aliens, like Harley riding aliens basically come to earth and they're tearing shit up and he warns them about taxes and that they're going to have to pay income taxes if they stay and that freaks them the hell out and they all disappear. Well, here's the so, weird thing. Reading the comic book, uh, yeah, this is of, of a totally different era. This is of an era when, you know, you and I were just infants, basically. You know, early 80s. Um, mm -hmm. in the heavy overtones with communism, like, they're just complete and absolute monsters, you know, and stuff like that. And it's funny what <laughs> the movies we were raised on, the comic books, you know, and now it's, sadly, it seems some people are embracing communism in Russia. <laughs> funny. Huh. Yeah. Um, but I, I do have to say, it was hard to figure out how much um, how much of that Bob Burden, the author, really felt 
but it, a lot of the time it seemed to actually be satire of that position. It um, did, yeah, like the way it's probably that, a little both. The the Rambo, the 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 Cold War craze that was going on, it it seemed like sometimes it was kind of a spoof yeah. of it. I couldn't tell if he was subtly trying to put his own mm-hmm. ideas in there or he was mocking other countries that way. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it it did have kind of a Reagan esque feel. Um, but it, I usually tried to attribute that to uh, just that's where the flaming carrot was coming from. That that was his impression of you know, Midwest factory America. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't necessarily the author or a lot of the other characters' viewpoints in the comic book. Here on uh, a side note real quick, you got me finally to watch the Star Wars Holiday, even though I did not oh. want to. I watched it last night, and they had commercials in there. The, whoever recorded kept the commercials in there. <laughs> and almost every single commercial break mm. had this thing where it was like, made in America, that's why I have the Union label. Don't go overseas and make this kind of stuff. Mm. I was like, oh, that's right. That's where we were 40 years ago. We had companies in America that were proud to make oh. stuff. <laughs> you know, It may cost a little more, but it'll last a wow. lot longer. And I was just like, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, yeah. Oh, man, that's right. We were great at one time with that kind of thing. Oh, wow. That's, that's funny. I mean, you, would, you wouldn't see anybody do that today, really, oh, no. in, a, in a TV commercial. You know, you wouldn't see Levi, Target. Hardly anybody would, would mention where their stuff's made because 90% of it's made in China. Yeah, and um, I really saw you a know, commercial. Deadly, that's, I, that's, there was a guy who was saying, well, I lost oh, my job at this factory, but they helped me train for a new job here at this place. And it was like an infomercial, <laughs> and I was just like, this is astounding. I want to watch, like, long, long clips of commercials from the 70s, 80s. I just, I don't know why I get so happy about <laughs> Yeah, wow. Um, okay, well, let's see. Where do we go from here um, about Mr. Well, let's talk Flaming about this. Carrot. This comic was uh, coming out during a recession. You know, at the very beginnings of Reagan, they're still in a recession. And mm. for $2 a comic, that must have blown people. You really had to get to yeah. pay 2 bucks for a comic when everything at that time, I think, was $0.60. Cents. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, surprisingly, people who read it got, like, really obsessed with it. Like, if you read the letters pages in it um people just they really got him and uh and they would like they would they would like write their own you know in jokes uh about it and everything and they got the surrealism that's what it really is it's a it's a surreal humor comic there's a little bit of parody um but like the surrealism is really the big thing like if you're into you know whatever type of surrealism whether it's uh you know like paintings or movies like you like david lynch I think you'll like uh, Flaming Carrot. In fact, I think he he was heavily influenced by that kind of thing. Because there's a, it seems like there's a lot of uh, Eraserhead and stuff like that in uh, in Flaming Carrot. There is um, an, a midnight movie quality to it. Like the, you either get it or you yeah. don't get it at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I wish we could tell people a little bit more, but give more examples of of the kinds of storylines that that he did. Like, one was about a, uh, a dead dog. Literally, like, a dead dog came to town. He floated around. Nobody could figure out what was going on. Um, he was, like, terrorizing everybody because he was, like, he was eating all the mail and, and fighting mailmen and, like, looming. He would come, like, floating into people's bathrooms while they were trying to take a bath. And he didn't do anything. It just made him mad. You know, what's a dog in there? Um, yeah, that was, that was a story. 
Well, he it's sets the tone bizarre, pretty quickly. Bizarre, bizarre Yeah, because um, here's the weird thing. is The comic's kind of all over the place, too. It's a little frustrating because um, you're not sure <laughs> if it's going to be single issues. You know how a lot of comics start off that way beginning, and then they go into these bigger arcs. Um, so the second issue mm-hmm. is about him meeting Death, you know, and, and Death's a cool cat in this one. Yeah. He's really debonair, mm-hmm. and he's a good juxtaposition to Bizarre, outrageous, flaming carrot. And all of a sudden, they drop it, and then three and four are a totally different storyline. And then he goes back to the death for five and six, and you're just mm. like, "What? What is going on?" And then, and then, surprisingly enough, he dies. Flaming Carrot dies at the end of issue six. <laughs> uh, I think I remember that. Wait, okay, so that when he dies, and then he uh, like gets thrown. Oh, okay. Do the aliens hit him with some kind of ray nah, that would kill him? he drowns. I can't remember. He drowns in something. Oh. Whatever, and they end it, and they're like, coming the next issue, all new, uh, improved, flaming carrot. And it's the same It's the same thing, because <laughs> the whole time Bob Bird's just playing a joke on you. He's just playing on yeah. the way that Marvel would do that. All new, incredible huh. Spider-Man, and nothing changed. You're like, oh, yeah. Nothing. I'll have to read that again. I don't remember <laughs> that. There's another one later where he gets hit with like a weird laser ray, and it temporarily turns him into... Um, like a cosmic flaming carrot like he can fly and has super strength and stuff uh you know kind of playing on cosmic spider-man and stuff like that but that doesn't last very long i was thinking remember when uh spider-man during the acts of vengeance storyline to uh, captain universe and he had all these crazy powers (laughs) which is still to this day is one of the most fascinating storylines i love the acts of vengeance storyline it's like oh you take villains (laughs) who have not had their ass handed to them by the heroes um, and, and it changes everything. Like, you have Magneto going up with Spider-Man. They can't compete. Magneto just kicks his ass and didn't have the Captain Universe power. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Flaming Carrot was done basically by just a single human being, unlike what you're, you're usually getting. And, uh, you know, it, it was up to his whims. Sometimes he would do a long storyline and finish it. Like, um, I thought a lot of people have said issues four to eleven were one storyline, but it must it must bounce back and forth more than that. Um, but anyway, sometimes he would do that. Sometimes he would just like end a storyline and go off with something else, um, like he did with issue number twenty four. He had a big thing going, and all of a sudden he stopped that to do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover, which which was great. But I don't think he ever got back to the original storyline. Um, but yeah, it's a little frustrating, but like. Everything he does, it like pleases me so much that I, I don't I tend not to care. I guess like I'm on issue thirty now, and uh, for some reason stuff like that has has really bothered me very little. I, I think because I I kind of look at it as here's a good way to look at it. You are peeking into a weird surreal version of like golden age comics. Like there's this weird like everything's great and it doesn't matter if superheroes kill a bunch of people kind of kind of attitude like they had in the 50s um but it's quite a bit weirder and stuff so it 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 just it seems to make sense for it to be episodic like those issues were it was always one issue at a time so i think if i get more than that i'm I'm like oh great there's more than one issue about this storyline but i don't expect it okay Anyway, um, that'll make sense to some people, maybe. Did you get to read the storyline with uh, the introduction of the Mystery Men? Yes, yes. That that was pretty awesome. Um, Now, have you seen the movie, too? Oh, yeah, I went to the theater and saw it, and I was completely frustrated. I was like, oh, my God, another improv. Okay. Oh, this one's going nowhere. Oh, okay. Like, Kinka Usher (laughs) had no real control. It's like the way it was with... um, 
uh, Land of the Lost with Will Ferrell or the second Austin Powers, where clearly they had the green light before they were ready with the script. Mm. Like, oh shit, uh, just just fill time, just fill time till we ha- we can pad a movie for ninety five minutes. Mm. You know, um, some ideas in Mystery Men are uh-huh. great. Some are just like, oh, cut, please cut this, cut this, move on, move on. Um, as I get mm-hmm. older, though, I appreciate Mystery Men more because I'm kind of into the whole improv scene. Uh, but I, funny yeah. thing is, I didn't realize it was from Flaming Carrot. I always thought it was from Madman. And I'm actually thinking of G-Men from Hell, oh. which is from Madman. Yeah. Now, this is interesting to me that, like, you're so aware that it's an improv kind of sequence. Um, so, like, you're, you're very aware when, like, you, you can kind of sense that they're riffing and doing their own jokes. Is that kind of like what it is? Yeah, I, and Mystery Men, there's some scenes okay. in there where, and it's usually not the William H. Macy stuff, you know, it's usually when it's like Hank Azaria, it definitely mm-hmm. when it's um, Ben Stiller and Dean Garoppolo together, you can just see that the camera just sat mm. there and the director's like, uh, it, just let them, let's see what happens. <laughs> not always a good okay, thing, but not always I, a bad thing. Sometimes I think an improv movie has to be clean improv, like the way it is with Christopher Guest. You do it in, in a movie that's kind of mm. plot heavy, special effects heavy, you more control over the story. Mm. Okay, yeah, I, okay, I guess I get it. Uh, yeah, I just, I tend not to notice that, but, um, I, I just tend to look at it as, this is a comedian I like, and they're doing fun stuff, but I can kind of see what you're, what you're getting at. Yeah, the less structured it is, and the more they're just ripping, uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's really part of the story or whatever. Right, okay. watch, watch Lethal um, Weapon 4. Lethal Weapon 4 was in production <laughs> before the script was done, so they make up a bunch of scenes, <laughs> and they just improv. And you're just like, oh, this isn't anywhere yeah. nearly as tight as the other ones. This is not in an action movie that's so plot heavy. And that kind of thing drags it down. But yeah. like I said, with the Christopher Guest stuff, or like, um, I don't know if you ever watched John Lear's stuff, uh, like Memron, I'm mm-hmm. blessed, lots of improv, and that's the setup. Mm, okay. And let's also mention real quick that, like, if you're, like, really good at improv, it's probably a little different. Like, if you have lethal weapon actors doing it versus people who, like, graduated top level from Second City or something, yeah, that's probably... It's probably going to be a little better. That's weird. <laughs> um, um, back to Flaming Carrot. The one yeah. thing I appreciate about this era of comics, the embrace of the black and white. Um, the pencils on Flaming Carrot are beautiful. They're not like clear and concise like the way they are with like Savage Sword of Conan and stuff like that. But they're not meant to be. There's a style and attitude in Carrot. And if they added color to it, I think I would actually be pointed. Did they eventually add color? I want to say that it's it's never been in color, but there may the uh, mini series uh, with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that might have been in color. Um, but yeah, his his artwork like it already has this like kind of weird like texture and sort of three D look to it, especially with like people's faces that I I don't know if color would work very well with. Well, and this um, is during an era when they started embracing like, fantasy, especially the major companies. Tons of black and white, like sword and sorcerer and westerns, but like you know high end and then some mm-hmm. of like the, the hands of kung fu or the hands of shang stuff like that. But um, independent mm-hmm. comics had to do it because they didn't have the money. They had to, to cut corners, so black and white was the only way to go. <laughs> yeah, um, and and it's funny that like they were black and white and they still had to charge more, but that's because of you know they just had such low volume on the printing. Right. Um, but but uh, one more thing about Mystery Men, they're they're kind of different in Flaming Carrot, and then they also had their own uh, I want to say four issue series. Um, they're like I want to say they're more fun in, in Flaming Carrot. They're just they're so silly. There there are some characters in there that of course aren't in the movie, and uh, they're just they're so bizarre. Like there's um, Bondo Man, which I. I can't remember what Bondo is. I think it's like a type of fabric. No, 
Bondo like that. Is, anyway, uh, I'm pretty sure Bondo is that what stuff is that? you put on cars. Like, so you punch a hole in the car, or there's a bit of damage, you put Bondo on it, seal over that damage, and then ah. you just, like, repaint it. Yes. Yes, thank you. Okay. So he's the man of living Bondo. <laughs> and <laughs> you stick to everything? Um, it's, like, constantly, like, oh, crap. Yeah. to the fridge right now. Hold on. Oh, I thought you were literal for some reason. Okay. No, 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 no. no, no but I'm saying yeah. Bondo, man. Like, he um, was, yeah. like, he'd get a chair, and then the chair was still yeah. He's like, hold it. I gotta get this off me. Yeah. No, and there was another one um, that was, like, he was made of vines, and his, uh, oh, gosh. He was, like, made of vines, and he could, like, I want to say he sneezed at people. This is making no sense, but I guess it doesn't have to. Well, I swear to God, he was some kind of right? plant... Was it? Oh, no, Paul Rubens farted on people. What's that? Paul Rubens' character, it farted on people. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's not in the comics. That's not one of them. That Shoveler and uh, Mr. Furious are definitely in there. Was Blue um, Raja Yeah, no, there? they had some really big... Who? The Blue Raja? Oh, oh, the one with the... Um, Spoons! Oh, gosh, he was like a mystic? Yeah. The one that was a mystic, like a magician or whatever? Uh-huh. I don't think he's in there. Okay. Um, but no, and one more good parody thing they had was uh, they had a Spider Boy, but he was like really lame compared to Spider Man. He just he was he looked like a spider. He had big spider legs and a human head, and they said that he uh, spent most of his times just like hunting down insects to eat. So he <laughs> just didn't he didn't really do a lot of adventuring, you know, because he he didn't get much strength off of those insects. Uh, <laughs> so anyway. Um. Anyway, Anything but else yeah, to say so about fun stuff. Carrot? Like, where else does it go after this? Um, it it just kind of how do I say it? It's it's always different, but it kind of stays the same in that it it it's always just you know these silly little surreal stories that don't really add up to much. It's not like there's a storyline where he like you know tries to well he does save the world a few times, but he doesn't change the world. He's always right back in Palookaville, which is you know, just like a little uh, industrial Midwest town. And, um, but no, all, all the issues are fun, but it, if you read one or two of them, that, that's kind of the same uh, genre that you're going to get with all of them. So, all right, well, but they're a lot of fun. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed reading them. Uh, I don't think I'm completely on board with like finishing the series, but I did enjoy reading them. Uh, I like opening <laughs> up a world beyond the Marvel and DC. And plus, those worlds are so convoluted, there's so much history. You can't just cover one character unless he's like kind of an obscure character. Um, but I want to say this: Flaming Carrot mm-hmm. obviously had an um, an influence on later characters. Like you see this heavily in Scud, the disposable assassin. I don't know if you've ever read Rob Scrab's uh, book, but um, it has the mm. same kind of like bonkers vibe. Mm. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't read that. Um, but it, no, it like it, and it had a major following at the time. I mean. This was one of the most expensive comics during the 80s. It was like Flaming Carrot and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were, were kind of at the top for a little while. Uh, yeah, because some people just really got this. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just remember like going through those prize guides. You remember those monthly prize guides you get? And I'm not talking about Wizard, where you know, like, there was yeah. the back part of Wizard where it had a prize guide. We're talking like your monthly like mm-hmm. comic book. Uh, it's like Beckett's, but with comic books. And I remember going through, and I do remember yeah. Ninja Turtles being very, very expensive. And I totally forgot about Flaming Carrot being like kind of costly. I think a few bucks or something. And, um, yeah, and the worst was... Uh... The visions issues where his first five appearances were, and like the first issue is still worth about a thousand bucks. Whoa, whoa, um, yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy? Man. Uh, second one's like 300, 
anyway, it's because they had very, very low print runs. So anybody who wants one is still going to have a tough time getting them. Well, thankfully um, they have collected editions that you can find fairly reasonable price. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure they collected the visions, but, you know, 90-some percent of all, all Flaming Carrot stuff you can you can find in a trade paperback version, which are still a little expensive. They need to reprint them a couple more times because some of them are, are still worth, like, 30 to 50 bucks. Yeah. And uh, that's a bit much, yeah, for yeah. just trying to read something. I'm on a mission um, to track down yeah, the I, Judge Dreads for a future episode with somebody else, and I'm like, oh, my God, even the mm. collected version shows. Some of these, I just don't <laughs> understand why... Instead of doing, like, the six issue, that's kind of the common practice. It's four to six issues uh, of a storyline collected in a trade paperback. And literally, like, a trade paperback, not mm -hmm. a hardbound. But then I'm finding, like, these collections, and I'm like, you know, the easy, you know, creepy and Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. It's like $75 a volume. And I'm like, do you have to go with a hardbound, super embossed cover mm. with 24 issues per um, book? I will go smaller. Uh, and it's an unreasonable price. Yeah, it, it really is. Um... Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Bob Burden, uh, but I do want to find out because, um, like, I'm kind of, you you know, you liked it pretty well, but I'm kind of at the opposite end where I'm getting pretty obsessed at the moment. Oh, so I'm really? trying to, like, find, yeah, it's weird. I'm trying to, like, find all of his, like, everything Flaming Carrot appeared in and stuff. But I want to know, like, why is he not reprinting the trade paperbacks? He doesn't seem to have anything else going on. And uh, I just got on Facebook today. And saw some stuff. And uh, Roxanne Starr, who did like the editing and lettering, um, I inquired about something, and so she sent me a, a friend request. So I want, I'm going to try to get to the bottom of this nice. and figure out like what's yeah, what's he doing with his life, and why doesn't he reprint Fleming Carrot every couple years and make some more money? That would make sense, I think. Well, it's also about so, building the next generation audience. Um, to be fair, I think um, Flaming Care is kind of of its era. I mean, the parody kind of crazy mm -hmm. independent comic has kind of died off. Um, you know, like, mm -hmm. Tick is nowhere nearly as popular Sadly. in characters like that. But I still feel like the next generation will pick it up. Maybe in smaller amounts, but they'll still pick it up and keep it going. Yeah. Um, I, I think, that, you know, there's a little bit of a movement going on back to that kind of stuff. Um, which is probably a lot of it's just, well, nostalgia. Um, you know, people who, who remember it from the 80s and maybe couldn't afford it back then, and it's, it's a little bit easier now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I hope 80s indie comics, the ones that were good, uh, that they keep growing. Now, we're going to keep on this track with some independent comics mixed in with the regular stuff. Um, uh, we plan on doing a Mad Man special. Um, we'll also probably do The Tick. Um, intermixed with uh, what else have we discussed? We're, we're going to try to do uh, Booster Gold. Um, I want to do Blue Beetle, but um, you're not too keen on that, so I think I have somebody else lined up for Beetle. Um, but we're going to do Invasion. Okay. Uh, we're going to discuss that miniseries. I'd also like to discuss the DC yeah. Millennium uh, miniseries if you have that. Uh huh. Um, you know, we could do Legends also, maybe. Yeah, definitely. That that uh, yeah, that had some major turning points in it. You mentioned um, something to yeah, about the it... New Gods, and I've never once read the New. <laughs> Uh, I kind of like them, but it, but I haven't read a whole lot of them either because back in the 80s, early 90s, that was another thing that was way out of reach. You know, uh, you you couldn't you could barely even get reading copies of the 70s stuff, and even the more recent was was pretty tough. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'd like to I'd like to go back to that. I'm a big fan of Mr. Miracle. I read that series. You know, his post crisis. I read mm. that, but other than that, I've never really experienced a new god. Something about Kirby always kind of. I was not a fan of his art. I didn't know that's a huge sin right now, me saying that out loud. But 
I kind of admit to things that nobody else will. Just how I roll. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. there's There's a lot of people that are an acquired taste, and I think Kirby is one, and I'm not that into it either. I like I like curves and like shading that that's not all just like absolute black or white. And Kirby's very harsh, so you can you kind of really have to I don't know get used to it I guess. But um, so I guess that's kind of a, <laughs> a lot of people at, like it. Yeah, it's kind of a look at what we're gonna do on this next and and I apologize the first is really sporadic kind of trying to stay on. Uh, trying to do two episodes a month, uh, bi-weekly episodes, I think is doable. It gives me enough time to find something to discuss it. Otherwise, um, mm. you'll probably get some reruns in the middle, filling it in to really get this going. Um, but the plan is next, uh, to try to do Mr. Gold. You keen on doing that? Uh, yeah, that should work. By the way, another, uh, blue character from the 80s, Blue Devil, oh, might be fine. Love Blue Super Devil! Cool. Yeah. Um, what was the other character? You know, there's a, there's a character that I also felt like it influenced from Flaming Carrot was Ambush Bug. I feel like if mm. if a flaming carrot mm-hmm. hadn't taken off, I don't think Bushbug would. <laughs> yeah, you could be right. Yeah, that would be another fun one. Okay. I'm just I'm really big. I think on we've DC got right some now. good things going. Yeah, I'm a little burned out on Marvel. What's that? You're... I'm a little burned out on Marvel. Oh. I gotta tell you, the, the DC stuff right now is uh, I'm really into it. Um, but I picked up another one that I would love to discuss. This and is Zero Hour. Um, which I thought was really significant during our high school year. Yeah, I remember that was. How do I say this? It was like the Twin Peaks of comics for a little while because I, I feel like everybody was speculating who is the guy who, you know, caused everything. Right. Seems like that was the thing. Like, yeah. It was. And, and it uh, changed it well, I'll say who it is. Found out. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. Well, time to wrap up this Alrighty. episode because we can always tell when it gets a little awkward and we don't know how to finish it. So uh, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment and check out your podcast, which is Comics I Read To You. Did I get that correct? Yes, comics I read to you. Uh, it's on iTunes or whatever, so look that up. I will have a, a new episode out soon. In fact, I may do like a sort of mini crossover episode. I have lots of like little blurbs of really weird stuff uh, that Bob Burden has wrote, and and I want to uh, read some of that and, and discuss it. So okay. I may do an episode about that. Cool, and I want to be a guest. <laughs> I want to do my own episode of comics I read to you. I have something very particular I want to. Um, so check me out. I might be a guest on that episode yeah. soon. I'm going to bug you. I'm going to bug you too. Let me. Um, <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to plug? It should be pretty easy. All right. Um, I guess not. Um, I'm trying to think. I do a few other things, but nothing that like the whole world needs to know about, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, that is it for All us right. here. And um, have a good night. All right. Bye, guys. That's not how you end it. That's not your catchphrase. I know. You, no, you got to do it. Go read it. Go read some comic books, guys. All right, see, that's how you do it.
crappy theme song. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was painful. Uh, hey, everybody, this is another episode of Next Planet Over, the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror TV show podcast where we discuss, for the most part, short-lived TV shows, but, you know, pretty much anything is fair game. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, Ron's on the other side. What up? Are your ears bleeding from the last couple notes in that junky song? Ugh. Oh, but I was, I was just starting to give you a little soft shoe for the first part there, though. <laughs> it was. I actually take the original one. <laughs> uh, so at the time, I, I guess it was controversial was because uh, that theme song was kind of a thumbing to the, you know, thumb to the nose at all those generic theme songs that we had been hearing for 20 years, which in my mind, those are the memorable ones. Nobody knows the theme song of Misfits yeah. of Science. Nope, I do not. When they started off in the... Early part, like the beginning of the pilot when they were playing, uh, what was it? Something with science. Ah, oh, what's the name of that song? The Miss Big 80s of Science. Oh, wait, what are you talking about? In the pilot episode? I actually don't remember. Was it She Blinded yeah. Me with Science or was it... Uh, she Blinded Me with Science. That yeah. was it. Thomas Dolby. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking, yeah, I could get into this. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I vaguely remembered that not being the tune. Yeah, so yeah. Now I know. Well, I noticed that a lot with these TV shows from our youth where, especially the ones that are not available on DVD, they had all these hit songs. And, you know, like you and I were discussing with Werewolf, you watch the pilot episode and they use like two or three like well-known songs. And then the rest of the series is just generic, just like keyboard music. And it's the whole MTV effect, you know, especially Miami Vice kind of set that trend where use popular songs and fast editing and people will watch it. And it clearly doesn't work with Misfits of Science because I don't know if you noticed or not, but the last five minutes of the pilot episode it feel like an hour because it just goes on and on with the choppy editing and the crappy music. <laughs> Ron fell asleep, everybody. The pilot episode must be still going, even though we stopped watching it quite a while ago. Oh, I'm not holding up my end of the bargain here. All right, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so this is from the creator of my favorite sci-fi show of all time. James T. Perry also created The Voyagers. Yes. Not as Stay enjoyable, tuned. though. Miss anyway. It's a Science. Now, I'm going to say this. The pilot episode uh, should not have been two hours. I think it's better digested in the 44-minute segments. I, I only got about through four or five episodes uh, before I kind of lost my patience, but I will say the latter episodes are more interesting than the early ones. I'd say I wish I could have gotten that far. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this was uh, this is when NBC was around dead last in the ratings, and they were looking for anything offbeat that would get people's attention. At the time, I think the only thing they had was Cheers and Hill Street Blues, and everything else was just like, what crazy idea do you have that we can just throw at the wall? A lot of them sci-fi and fantasy. A lot of the shows we're going to discuss on this show are going to be from this era of NBC because I believe they had Manimal. Um, they also did uh, Amazing Stories and probably about a dozen other very short-lived sci-fi and fantasy shows. ALF. I'm sorry. I don't know. No, no. That was on a different. No, no. That was on NBC. But ALF was on for four years. Have you tried to watch ALF at all since it originally aired? Uh, no, I have not. Why? Is it that bad? Oh, unbearable. I Fucking terrible. <laughs> Just, oh, it's so, um, it's Catskills humor um, coming out of a mother. Well, there are other shows on at that time i was watching like perfect strangers and alf and uh, there were other shows i was more interested in but i remember vaguely remember watching this show honestly but i couldn't tell you a thing about it yeah until i started watching it again and i'm like oh yeah okay 
Well, I, this aired around the time of another short-lived show on NBC called uh, Shadow Chasers, which I have never seen a single minute of. I've only seen commercials. And um, both had kind of a Ghostbusters feel in a way. Like it was combining uh, otherworldly stuff with science and comedy and, and a group of people. And I don't know why it is in Misfits of Science you can find so easily, even though it's never been on DVD and Shadow Chasers, I can't find anything. Just nothing. Sorry, my son just walked into the picture. <laughs> uh, so, Misfits of Science, another short-lived uh, 16 episodes, which is longer than a lot of the shows that we we're going to discuss. Most of them only made the the you know the 13. Um, I don't know why exactly that they insisted on so many of these pilot episodes to be two hours. Uh, the only thing I can think of is selling it overseas or on video, which is actually where I saw Misfits of Science the first time. Was I was at a video store around 2003 and I found a copy of the pilot episode and I was like, "Holy crap! Good idea. Boring. So boring." The only thing I can remember from the 80s that I liked that was anywhere near as cool as this. Oh, Automan. I can't even remember it. Oh, real genius. Oh yeah 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 yeah. That I was hoping it would be somewhere in that vein. But it was nowhere near as entertaining. No, real genius. I'm shocked that it's never become a TV show. Like there's there's a sitcom right. in that. Right, definitely. Hmm. Probably well, not with. Uh... <laughs> well, no, no, you could do it now with Val Kilmer as like uh, one of the elder teachers or something like that, and then a new class of kids. No, no, he seems a little out there these days. He does. He seems to be obsessed <laughs> with playing Mark Twain. He's done Mark Twain like six times the last four years. It's it's uh, uh I know that Hal Holbrook was like his mentor for a while, so maybe right. that's why he's picked up the mantle of Mark Twain. But dude, there's some other stuff. I don't know. I, I I think about him, and I feel like he's always been eccentric. It's just been building and building uh, our exposure to it. Right. Maybe he's perfect for that. Oh, what was it? Uh, Island of Doctor Moreau. Oh man. Eccentric. He was definitely perfect. For that. Uh, yeah, that's the only time you can use the word perfect with Island of Dr. Moreau because that's a terrible right. movie. <laughs> I'm holding gravy in my bottom lip. <laughs> Sounds nothing like Brando, but that's my interpretation of Brando. <laughs> oh, spot on, man. That was perfect. <laughs> Uh, this is the size. Okay, let's bring this down. Uh, so basically, it's it's kind of like a comic book, um, a superhero movie, in the fact that they all have superpowers except for the main character, and uh, right. it's kind of like a mini Avengers, way before like the special effects could handle a true superhero team. And I give it credit for right. doing something nobody else was attempting. I just, I loved it. Uh, I don't. I had a thought. My and thought it disappeared. Is <laughs> <laughs> this is wrong. For all of you who don't know me, this is me. He has lots of good thoughts, and they never get out. <laughs> they always go on vacation. It's like, okay, well, he's not looking. Let's go. <laughs> Let's steal the <laughs> ideas. <laughs> he's, he's a genius for about two seconds. Anyway. What were you going to Moving say? Moving on. No, you don't, you don't remember it's gone? I can't okay. remember. All right, all right. It's... <laughs> uh, Dean Paul Martin is the main cast member. He is Dean Martin's son. Uh, he's the only cast member who doesn't have superpowers. He's kind of like the fast talker negotiator, the, the all-American kind of guy. You know, like the, the Tom Hanks of the group. Uh, sadly, he right. passed away soon after the show was canceled in a plane accident. And uh, they say it's something that Dean Martin Sr. never really recovered from. And it is it is yeah. so sad that he died. Like you know, uh, younger than us, he was gone. No, look, not just a plane accident though. He was a National Guardsman pilot. 
Oh. Right. Well, at least he was on a routine thing, but um, you know, I guess they said it was a snowstorm or something like that. I, I forgot that. I remember reading Dean Martin's book, but I missed that. Yeah. He he was a soldier, which is awesome. Yeah. It's it actually the whole cast kind of had issues except for Courtney Cox. Uh, Kevin Peter Hall, who also played Harry and Harry and the Hendersons and also The Predator. Uh, he is. Uh, yes. He also died very young. Uh, I think in 1990 of HIV, um, which is sad because yeah. you know he, he, another young guy. I don't even know if he had even hit his 40s when he passed away. It was like months after he contracted it, he was gone. It was. Yeah, it usually doesn't move that fast. But this is back in the early days of us even like doing any research on the disease. So people pass away very quickly. Whereas now, there's a lot of medications that can build your immune system so you don't pass away so fast. Right. Uh, was he? He was in Predator Two, as I, well. I don't recall if he is in Part Two. I know he's in Part One, but I feel like he was too sick to do Two. But I could be wrong. I didn't bother to check the IMDb. Um, poorly researched yet again. You're fine. There. Um, thought I'd. What? Thought I'd read somewhere where he's actually in it as himself, or in. I don't know if it's in Predator Two or at the end of Predator One. Well, I but. I get the feeling that I haven't seen Predator in a while, but I feel like he's at the end of. The first movie as the helicopter pilot at the very end. Yes, yes. With the shades on, yeah. Now it, it's uh, insanely tall, and, and that's part of his character is that he's sick of being so tall. So he designs that nerve system, like what if it's like a nerve blocker that he taps in the back of his neck and it allows him to shrink down in like two minutes, which is the stupidest science I've ever heard of. That is like '80s science before <laughs> anybody really questioned it. They were just wowed by the fact that you could even do that. Right. I thought it'd be kind of cool to shrink down to a foot tall, but I would imagine he was probably shooting for like loose, you know, average height. Yeah. Wouldn't it be terrible if <laughs> the first funny. time he did it that it only shrunk his skeleton, but his insides stayed the same size, so that basically your body is exploding uh, with guts and <laughs> tiny skeletons just crushing? Uh, <laughs> There's something wrong with me. I don't know why I even thought of that. Well, we'll say that's that's failed experiment number one, and, and the only one. one. <laughs> <laughs> Never doing that one again. Uh, Mark Thomas Miller also plays sure. Johnny B. is my favorite character. I think he's probably everybody's character because yeah. he was cool. He loved old school rock and roll, and he had the coolest powers. I mean, the, the shooting the lightning from his hands, and the fact that he could shoot super or run super fast. Uh, and they're here. Yeah, seriously. And it's that hair. helmet. It's a hair helmet. If you've ever seen the movie Ski right. School, which he's the villain in, somehow he selected it into like a tower of hair. And it's almost ridiculous. You almost <laughs> sit there and look at him going, how does his neck even hold his skull up? <laughs> you know, I totally forgot he was in that. Yeah, well, most people forget Ski School. Now, I've seen Ski School 2 about 80 times, but uh, the first one I don't recall a single thing from. Yeah, it has been probably high school. Probably with you that I've seen Ski School. So yeah, well, we watch terrible movies, and uh, most of them seem to star Dean Cameron because we love Dean Cameron, but his movies are terrible. <laughs> Except Summer School, of course. And it, I'd say a lot of those were probably rented because of the cover work. Maybe, cover art, but... maybe. <laughs> now, kids, before there was the uh, easily accessible information and videos via the internet, you had to go to the store and look for covers with Shannon Tweed on them. <laughs> Oh, Shannon Tweed of Body Chemistry 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> and if the Shannon Tweed titles were out, there were Shannon Worry as a backup. Yep. <laughs> Maybe a couple of Lissa Milano oh. movies. <laughs> oh, the teen years. Anyway. Um. <laughs> uh, sadly, Mark Thomas Miller was in an accident, but I can't find any information on it. 
but uh, apparently it was disfiguring, and so he pretty much stopped acting. But here's the cool thing. He didn't, like, get down in the dumps over it. He decided to go into construction, and he designed and built these great houses. In fact, three of them have shown up on the TV show Cribs, and he also helps out with, uh, like, uh, I'm trying to remember. He was, like, a Mercy Care. Oh, boy, like you, my mind is starting to go. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. Uh, oh, he's a rescue diver in Los Angeles, so he helps out in, in emergency situations. That's awesome. Hagger Tools. It's about building, it, remodeling been, homes for the handicapped. Yeah, well, he he also uh, runs Hagger Tools Incorporated, which I think I actually know that company. Huh. Sounds really familiar. He lives out in L.A., so I guess that you're on the right, end, right end of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, other sci-fi shows that he appeared on, which uh, we've discussed or are going to discuss, he has appeared in The Highwayman, Hard Time on Planet Earth, Alien Nation, and something called The Last Frontier, which I've yeah. never heard of. Um, it sounds like one of those Mad Max kind of shows. Nope. I've not was, heard of that one. Though. Nope. It was a comedy in Alaska. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do today? We're going to stare at a moose. Cool. <laughs> Snow. <laughs> Look over there on the right. What? More snow. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Alaskans who are listening to this. Yeah. I hope all <laughs> we you don't know eaten any by bear. a bear. Especially me. I don't know any bear because I'm from the Midwest and I've never traveled beyond like the states out right around me. So yeah, I know nothing. No. You're a fool. <clears throat> you're a fool. I'm a fool. Uh, the one person who actually is still acting constantly, and of course it became a huge star, is Courtney Cox, who before this was only famous for goofy dancing in a Bruce Springsteen video. <laughs> elbows to knees, elbows to knees, elbows to knees. That's, that was the dance movement. <laughs> did she do, oh, what did she do? Masters of the Universe. Um, Masters of the Universe, was that before or after this? Right after this. Right after this? Okay. Yeah. I always thought that that was her breakthrough role, I guess not. Well, okay. you know, uh, it's probably what most people like. I don't know. I guess it's, it was. It was also, here's the weird thing about TV shows: even the lowest rated TV show sometimes is viewed by more people than like a, a mid-release independent film. You know, something that hits like 600 screens because uh, right. it's free. You know, whereas other stuff you have to get out. You know, maybe you have to get a babysitter. You have to pay the money, and you, and you know the chances of you like liking it are slimmer, and so you may not go to a movie. So like even something in the top maybe it's position 40 back in the 80s you're talking 8 million viewers which at the box office that's 24 million dollars or more you know uh right. I, don't, I don't know what movie ticket prices were back in 1984 but i think that's about right three 350 oh yeah sounds about right so that is more people than when and saw masters of the universe which only made like i think 17 or 18 i thought it was a great movie yeah, yeah, it actually it still holds up. I mean, Dolph Lundgren, of course, it, he sounds like he has a head cold and he can't act very well. But Skeletor is phenomenal, and uh, the special Great. effects still hold up. I don't understand Gwildor though. I don't understand the appeal of that little guy. It's weird. Well, I don't know why they added the guy. <laughs> like, there's Orko. Yeah. Just put a guy on, you know, strings and have him fly around. What the hell? Yeah, that was my biggest letdown watching that movie was that Orko wasn't it because he was one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, Orko, and then there's I no know. Cringer, uh, and then a lot of the villains in that, um, we're off topic, but a lot of the villains in that were kind of let down. I'm like, I see Beastman, but what about, you know, Manny Faces and uh, Triclops, you know? Those two would have been easy to do. Merman! But... Stinkor! <laughs> <laughs> Stinkor would have worked by himself because no one wants to be around him. Moss Man! <laughs> Moss Man. <laughs> Bring back big memories. 
terrible memories, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't I had Diane Samita. Every what? figure that you could think of. And they, I had about every He-Man figure there was, it seemed like. At least yeah. in my head I did. He-Man was but your thing. Mine was G.I. Joe. We moved, and I ended up with four. Uh-oh. How'd that happen? Yeah, they that box and about three or four other boxes, including a lot of 45s that my mom had, mysteriously disappeared. And they told us they went to the dump, but I have a feeling they went somewhere else. Yep. That sounds really suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Well, if they went to the dump, anyway, they were responsible for replacing them? You would think, but... Yeah. Lame. Yeah, well. Uh, the rest of the cast, uh, Diane Savita, um, she was a reoccurring on the early part of V, uh, the first two miniseries, and I think like the first eight episodes, she was Willie's girlfriend, if you remember. You watched V, correct? I did watch V. Yeah. That's another one great what? one we gotta discuss. Oh, man. Oh! She was the secretary. Yes. No. Yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and Alienation. Also... She was on that as well. Oh, yeah? I didn't remember that. I've never seen yeah. Alienation. I've seen the movie numerous times, but I've never seen the TV show, but that's going to be corrected soon. Yes. Make it so, double pun. Is, this... is it on DVD? Uh, yeah. The library has it, so I'll just pick it up there. Sweet. All right. Back on back on task. Uh, Jennifer Holmes, I don't know. Uh, I've seen her face before, but she just seems like one of those that just, you know how there's, you know, in the 80s, there always seemed to be a couple dozen actors that were on every TV, every single TV show, but never had a TV show of their own, especially like bad guys on A-Team. I feel like those guys were on every single action show, yet they never had their own TV show. So Jennifer Holmes, she was the other girl, the, the blonde. Uh, Dean, yeah, love interest or whatever, I guess. Yeah, because it'd be creepy if uh, Courtney Cox was a love interest. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, she, when I saw her on here, especially with the haircut she had, she reminded me a lot of the, the, the blonde on Night Court. Yes. Um, um, shit. You know, she was on Fall Guy. But it's um, not her, is it? No, no, no. It's not no, her, no. is it? No. Ma, 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 Marky Post. Marky Post. Why can I not remember that name? It's Dude. like it's one of the most unique Right. Things. So stupid. There's something wrong with us. See, usually when I do an episode, uh, the other person can remember everything. But now we got two people who can't remember. <laughs> oh, and we meander we are off a lot. mess. Oh, uh, do you imagine what we're like? We are a hot mess. In in thirty years, we're gonna be those two old guys that go into the store and go, uh, "Sir, can I help you find anything?" Yes, I came with the with the. Uh, I went. Uh, uh, and as they lose their Why patience, like, well, just let me know when you remember what you're looking for. Uh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Where's the bathroom again? <laughs> How did I? What? Where's the remote? <laughs> You're not at home, sir. Oh, okay. I should probably put my pants back well. on. <laughs> yep, that'll be it. <laughs> and then I'll be the one going. I'm just here now. What's wrong with that? <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Sorry, we're we're, we're stalling. Uh, we're, we're illegally filling time. Uh, Max Wright uh, is the dad who played Willie, of course, on Alf. And uh, was on the Norm show, which nobody watched, but I adored. Uh, just one of those really great character actors. He hated being an elf. From the minute he signed that contract, I bet you he was regretting it. Why? I think because he was, he was <laughs> being ups- he was being he was second banana to a puppet, and it wasn't Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Mickey Jones. What? Now, I did not know that Mickey okay. Jones was in that costume at all. Now, he was also a regular for a small chunk of V, uh, was a drummer for Bob Dylan, and is the only person my father has ever made laugh. What? Uh, there was a film festival in San Luis Obispo, I think about 10 years ago, where they were honoring Mickey Jones because they were doing a documentary on Bob Dylan, and he was there to present it. 
Uh, and then my yeah. father showed him a uh, – he goes, do you want to see pictures of my pride and joy? And Mickey Jones assumes it's like grandchildren. And my father pulls out a picture of a bottle of pride and a bottle of joy. And Mickey Jones laughed his ass off so much that he nearly uh, passed out. <laughs> wow. Yep. Uh, sadly, Mickey Jones, I believe, I think he's still alive, but I know that he was having serious health yeah. issues. He was on dialysis, and uh, hopefully he's gotten better. Uh, looking at uh, IMDb, there's no nothing on there yet. So. Yeah, I think it's stupid. Uh, they, they wouldn't allow his character to be reoccurring because it was too similar to Iceman from X-Men, and I think that is horse crap. From X-Men? Yeah, he, they think that his character was too similar to Iceman, and I'm like, no. No, they have ice powers. That is about it. Yeah, he he can barely move. He's <laughs> he's not a teenager. He uh, he screams Amelia nonstop, uh, which was irritating. Uh, Seriously, Amelia! that was annoying. Amelia, Amelia, no, I'm hungry. I want a meal, y'all. That was one thing about the pilot. I thought it was a little. Uh, it was, thankfully, it was over quick enough. But that was a far stretch there, Amelia Earhart. Yeah. Like, wait, when was he? When was he found? Or anyway, from nineteen forty-one. Oh, I know who he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> it must be the only Amelia. Anyway. Yeah. On. Uh, so I watched the final episode of the show, and it's weird because th- there is some credit to be given to Mrs. Science because it's trying to do something different that network TV shows were not doing. And uh, the final episode is kind of a weird one because it's almost like The Office, where it's a mockumentary. They're filming this documentary about how um, Dean Paul Martin's character has been set up for what looks like espionage and stealing government stuff. And uh, then they show out of the film part where the real plot is going, where someone is setting him up and Max Wright for this crime with a blender of all things, which is apparently a super-powered weapon. And um, it's an interesting episode, but it's a weird way to end. But I'm, I'm almost certain they were not planning on stopping at 16 episodes. So they're just like, well, crap, I, I guess we're done. It sucks. I think- there was one character in here that I, I – maybe you can – I didn't get a chance to look it up. But the general or whoever he was, it was all gung-ho about the weapon. I am almost certain is he, he not... is the guy from uh, Riptide. Am I wrong? Is he from Bewitched? Maybe. No, I don't – we're talking about the, the guy that looks like he's about 45, the short brown hair, clean shaven. The guy had the cigar all the time in his mouth. He's always chomping at uh, the cigar. Oh, right. No, I don't think he's from Bewitched, but I'm not sure who that is. Um – but I know there's another guy in there who looks like the, the – the, you know how on Riptide they had the nemesis cop who was always giving him a hard time? He looks like that, but he's not. He's just one of those guys you see all the time around that era. Right. Oh, man. That's what I do. Every time he took – he never took that cigar out except for once. And when he did, he, yeah, where he, he looked like um, – oh, names are escaping me today. <laughs> but the main character Larry? is switched. Larry? Um, Larry Hagman. Yeah, his coworker. Yeah, Wait, the other guy, the bewitched, friend. bewitched, or I dream a genie. I Larry dream Hagman's a genie. And I dream Did a I genie. say bewitched? Yes, I said bewitched, didn't I? Sorry, my bad. Yes, yes, I said my bad. Sorry, um, <laughs> my bad, my bad. Yeah, I meant bewitched. Did <laughs> 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 it again? Damn it! <laughs> Good God, man! Are you gonna be okay? Oh, I'm. Are good. you having a stroke? Oh, I'm gonna be all right. Just give me a minute. I'll be all right. <laughs> I have pooped again. I gotta go. Where's my pants? Anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Um. 
so I think that's about it I have to say on Misfits of Science. It is uh, a product of its time, so just get used to the fact it's trying to be MTV style. Fast editing for no reason. Uh, a lot of here's the thing with the popular songs though. A lot of times you hear a popular song, but it's not the original version. It's always some shitty lounge singer like crappy version of it. Um, yeah. And, I, it, and for almost certain, it's in the first episode where um, you know that song. You never get caught in Beverly Hills. Da, 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 da. It was really popular at the time, but it's this weirdly edited generic lounge version where they just keep repeating don't get caught in beverly hills da, 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 don't get caught i'm like okay got it how long is this song gonna go it's like five minutes of the same lyric it's ridiculous say what i have no idea what song you're talking about oh don't it's in the first in it's in the first or second episode and it's just painful shalimar from i probably better not play that all right moving on <laughs> Okay, so uh, our, our second show is going to be the exact opposite. Uh, it's still science, but we figured we'd put them together because they're two different spectrums. Uh, Mrs. Science is almost complete fantasy. It's just complete nonsense. There's hardly anything real in it. Well, you go on the other end, and we have a TV show called Probe, which is from Isaac Asimov. And trying to do – and this is actually trend-setting. I don't think people really noticed it. Um, there's a lot of TV shows like this now, like Bones is very similar to Probe in the fact that it used uh, real yeah. science to solve crimes. That's exactly what I was thinking, Bones. Or Numbers. It kind of crossed between Bones and, yeah, well, that that as well. And then because of his observational skills, and well, I don't know, I was thinking Sherlock Holmes myself. But... Sherlock Holmes and a little bit even House, you know, where it's – yeah. Uh, so here, here are the elements I think that have been picked up. So Probe is the first show I think I've ever seen with like a really cranky, like uh, anti-social guy who's kind of full of himself with his knowledge. He's not egotistical, but he's kind of arrogant, and uh, it's kind of like House with that. And then using the science to solve crimes like Bones and and numbers because well that was math, but it's still the same kind of concept. Right. And Monk, in a way, because he's so idiosyncratic with his behavior, and then he means a normal person to balance him out, which is the character that Ashley Crow plays, and watching their characters clash um, is a lot of the amusing part about the show. Ashley Crow. See, that's a girl that I, when I was looking this up, I could not figure out where I'd seen her before. <clears throat> but she was in Heroes. Thank you. Remember I was trying show? to figure this out. Is she the cheerleader's mom? I think so, yes. Well, before uh, we get yes. too far in this, before we get too far in this, let's play the theme song for Probe. Let's do I don't know why I'm still playing that. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a repetition <laughs> theme song. Uh, so here's the thing. Very relaxed. And also there's a high-pitched weird sound to it. Um, their, uh, Misfits of Science has been re-aired, and they've, and they've had high-quality VHS out there because it was uh, aired on Sci-Fi Channel for so many years. And I'm pretty sure at some time you know, Universal is planning to release it on DVD. 
Uh, but Probe has only ever aired in its original run, I think, and it's a really poor quality VHS. So you're going to watch it on YouTube. It's going to look crappy. It's going to sound kind of crappy, but it's a really good concept, and it, it's a fairly decent show. I can see why it only lasted six episodes. Yeah, sadly. But it went on to bigger and better things anyway, so... Eh. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Seriously, Baywatch, really? You're going to co- include ba- the first season of Baywatch as bigger, better? <laughs> Okay, maybe not bigger or better, but <laughs> he was in Stroker Ace. He was in North and South. North and South. Hardy Boys. Oh, he was in the Hardy Boys. Yeah. Holy crap. That's one I never knew, I don't think I did, it existed until we started doing this podcast thing. I didn't. I started looking in, I don't know how I came across Hardy Boys and anything we've done before, but. Yeah. Well, I've seen a couple episodes. i got to find it. But uh, they're all on DVD, uh, combined with the Nancy Drew mysteries. I was never a huge Hardy Boys reader. I read maybe a dozen at most, but my thing was always Three Investigators, which is is only a cult thing now. No one really seems to remember Three Investigators, but it's huge overseas. And I've seen the two movies, and they're okay. But I think think if if I were to do Three Investigators, I would set it in high school, so older kids, and uh, have it as a TV series. All right. I was a big Hardy Boys reader and Nancy Drew. Because they were interconnected. Yeah. So I, I'd bring two, three books home from the library and I'd have them read in that night. See, that's the thing. Books used that's to be like 120 pages and you're like, yeah. And now you're like, how big is that Stephen King book? Oh my God. I could. All right, give me a year. I'll be... Barker, Are you still Magica reading? Magica took me four times. <laughs> See, I was wondering if you had ever finished that because I remember you said uh, freshman year of college. And this is fall of 1995. We were discussing it because Lord of Illusions was coming out. And I was like, oh, uh, how far are you into it? And you go, eh, well, I'm like, you know, 20 pages into it, and I've had to restart a couple times. So I'll get it done eventually. Then three years down the line, you, you finished that book yet? No, I haven't even got past page 21. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. I did. I did finish the book eventually. Oh. Probably is it's so in-depth. Anyway, we don't. that's a whole yeah. other podcast. Anyway. <laughs> 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 Well, Isaac Asimov, uh, of course, being a very well-known science fiction writer, I think probably the most famous thing he did was iRobot. Um, but, you know, he, I think, did he have, no, it was Ray Bradbury that had a TV show, not Isaac Asimov. Uh, oh, shit, am I wrong? Isaac Asimov wrote iRobot, right? I don't know. So, you know, he's going over to TV, and uh, I think it was a generally good idea. This is during a time when I think detective stuff was kind of waning, uh, you know, Simon and Simon and Magnum P.I. were coming to an end, and there really was nothing else other than uh, Jessica Fletcher on Murder, She Wrote. And so I thought, you know, this was a good way of reinvigorating this, the, the genre. And sadly, it wouldn't be a concept that would take off for like another 13, 14 years using eccentric characters with a very particular set of skills. Uh, not like Liam Neeson and Taken, just, you know, nerdy, realistic skills. <laughs> And uh, solving crimes using uh, that knowledge. Yes. I love shows like this. And I can't name a single freaking one like it. Um, yeah, and then we just named a few like it. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. I, there was one other one I was thinking of, but it skipped my mind. Do you remember one called Peacekeepers? It only lasted one season with Tom Berenger. It was set in the Old West, but he used science to solve crimes. Yes. Yeah, yes. That's a great one. I do remember that. There's got to be other ones. I know that they've. It seems like a concept that's been exhausted. At least it's more entertaining than the ones where it's just like, oh, special victims unit, law and orders, two cops interrogating scummy people. 
Law and order. Uh, I'm trying to give some obscure little town, but <laughs> parking meter investigators. Uh, who who put an extra right. quarter in here? No. <laughs> CSI Des Moines. <laughs> Des Moines. It. Like, CSI uh, uh, Colorado. Oh, the air is so thin. People are dying. Of, you know, of exhaustion. <laughs> I can't commit crimes. I need a nap. <laughs> What's it? Oh, the new Sherlock one. What's um. Crap. Well, Lucy Liu and uh, the guy from Trains Pilot. Yeah, Lucy Liu. Yeah. Yeah, that I, one's I okay. Like That's that another one. one where it's eccentric and, and kind of, uh, you know, oddball behavior trying to solve crimes and, and someone normal trying right. to, you know, guide them in the right direction. Of course, I'm real big in the old the BBC shows, too, so you get, like, Poirot and those sorts of things. But anyway. I like his little mustache. Like, oh, little right. tiny pencils drawn. He, he's his, his mustache is so thin that he makes Inspector Clouseau's look like Magnum P.I., just a big old butch mustache. Right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> Elementary was the name of that show. Oh, right, right. Is that still on? I don't know. Since 2012, it says. So it looks like it. Uh, there's one other actor really? in Probe that is not really well known, but he did a role that most people don't remember because he's almost rec- unrecognizable because he's wearing a helmet and he has a big old bushy mustache. And we already discussed it once. It's Masters of the Universe. He plays uh, uh, Man at Arms. Really? Yep. Uh, buried which underneath all that it? is the same as John Cipher, who is also uh, from Hill Street Blues. Also in an episode oh. of Misfits of Science. What? So this was meant to be. Yes, almost. <laughs> For so many of these guys are in like one episode of anything. Yeah. Seriously. You know what's funny about the shows really? is that Misfits of Science, like I said, looks like Miami. It looks like California in the 80s. Really bright colors and fast action right. kind of look. And then Probe is more introspective. But you'll notice how between 1985 and 1988, things have changed so much on television that it's, it's like – this weird steel kind of metal uh, coldness. Uh, of course, he, he works in a huge uh, facility where it's all science and, and stuff like that, so things need to be clean. But it has more of almost like a dynasty feel. All the criminals are like these really rich people, powerful people. They always are. <laughs> <laughs> My money will save me. <laughs> all right there, Snidely Whiplash. Get over here. <laughs> And if they are street thugs, they're not, you know, they're working for somebody. There. No, no, they're always there as hired somebody. Yeah, they hired uh, helping because they're not going to commit the crimes themselves. They're too powerful yeah. and busy to distract themselves with mere peasants. So obviously we don't have much to say on these. Uh, what is your verdict on the two shows? Would you say go beyond the pilot episode? Hmm. Probe? I say yes, even though the quality of the shows that exist is pretty poor, but it is worth watching. Besides, it's short. It's only six episodes. Yeah, I would say at least give it a shot. I mean, what a little bit of time out of your life to, you know, for some history. So that's yeah. the way I look at it. Uh, Mr. Science, test your patience. I, I don't. I think it's a TV show of the moment that does not hold up. I am going to continue watching that so I can see all the episodes. But like I said, like you said earlier, the, the later ones. You say they get better. It so does. It does get better, shot. but it's. I think the problem in my mind is that I'm comparing it with his other show. You know, Voyagers, from the ground running, is just absolutely amazing, and not a single episode awesome. sucks. And then you watch Mrs. Science, and what it feels like Mrs. Science is uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. Like there's so many ideas coming from everybody, and he has to try to mold that into what they want. Right. I would say with, well, at least with the uh, 
pilot episode, he solved like what three, four different things at one, on that pilot in probe. So that was kind of cool. They were jumping there and jumping. It wasn't just one crime because maybe they were all interconnected. I can't remember. Yeah. But, but anyway. So that's my verdict. Uh, I, I must say. say here. So we, we kind of go in opposite directions on this one. I say probe, you see missive science. But they, neither one are a waste of time. If you dig them, get into it because it's, it's your jam, you know. There's some things that I dig that no one else will dig. Um, I tried to get my sister to watch My Secret Identity for the first time in like 30 years. And she's like, this is so boring. I'm like, this is so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness, I haven't seen that in ever. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Seriously, the whole series is on YouTube, and uh, so is Out of This World, and the quality is actually really good. I'm going to give that a shot. You want to do that for our next episode? My Secret Identity? And Out of This Definitely. World. Definitely. Out of This World. What was that one? You know that's the one where the girl would put her hand together and stop time? Yes! They always... Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, girl. remember uh, Fox always showed them back to back. Gotcha. Alrighty. Yeah, I'm all for that. Nice. Uh, we said we'd do Wolf Lake at some point. Uh, I apologize for stalling again on that one. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll, you know what I was thinking? Wolf Lake and maybe Manimal. Mm -hmm. I can dig that. So, okay, so let's focus, though. My Secret Identity and Out of This World we'll do next, and then we'll do Wolf Lake and Manimal after that. Written down. Ready to go. Queued up. All right. I have no final music. I was going to play the closing credits of either one of those shows, but the probe sounds so terrible and uh, even though the audio is god-awful, um, it's still a better way to end it than the Misfits of Science where that girl starts bellowing again in high-pitched glass-shattering tones. What? You don't like that? Isn't that what all 80s synth was anyway? Oh, the ears are bleeding. Um, well, I don't know. Was it? I don't recall 80s. Now, here's the thing. is I've been revisiting some of the 80s music, and there's a turning point. Around 86, it starts to go. You know, you start hearing music kind of get crappy. And then by 88, everything in the top 40 was this synth crap. Or it was power ballads from heavy metal bands. And then there's just Metallica going, we got one. Uh, you guys want to hear one? Oh, yeah? Okay, so this is 1989. We're about to give the revolution of music. And then 1990 just kind of turns into greatness again. I've got you. Blinded me with science. We could do that. <laughs> da, 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 poetry in motion. <laughs> A little bit Thomas Dolby here. <laughs> All right. Okay, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. <laughs> what about Weird Science? We could have played that. Played what? Weird Science. Oh. Dun, bum, 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 bum. Uh, Weird Science has uh, some of the best lyrics. It's just in my creation. Is it real? Yes. No hesitation. No heart of gold. No flesh and blood. I am. Anyway. <laughs> His voice is so amazing. See, we don't need music. You can just sing, man. <laughs> we got the, vo vo the golden voice there. <laughs> Pump up the volume. Dance. Dance. <laughs> I'm trying. I actually have. Right. I have. She blinded me with science in here. Um, yeah, I completely forgot the point. What were we doing again? Oh, we're saying I think goodbye. We're closing. We're saying goodbye. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment. We also set up a special group. Uh, so we're not the only ones doing the episodes of Next Planet. Over our friends over at Next or uh, Above the Airwaves are also doing episodes. Yeah. Now they're more productive than we are. Man, they're putting out an episode every single week. They're focusing on shows Check usually between, like the last you know decade, last twenty years. Whereas we're doing more old school stuff. I'm trying to get a friend of mine to do some of the stuff in the '70s and '60s because I just don't think we're ever going to get there. But um, we well, will try. On this to... end, get his act together. What's that? <laughs> 
if someone on this end could get his act together. Yeah, Damn. Zeke, come on, you got to watch all these TV shows and comment on them too, Don. <laughs> That's right. Uh, now, here's the funny thing is, I picked up uh, Milk Creek Entertainment just released the Flash Gordon TV show from Sci-Fi Channel. It lasted uh, 22 episodes, and uh, they released awesome. it, and I got it for like three bucks, brand new. That was the asking price. And I've heard that it's kind of terrible, but I'm curious. I want to go find out. I'll check that out. Oh, when I get done, I'll probably just send it to you, buddy, because uh, I'm sure that I can only I, – I only watch stuff like once or twice, and then I, I get burnt out and I move on. Right. By the way, thank you for the Stephen King. Anyway. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny is uh, speaking of Stephen King, I'm on a uh, Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery 2 uh, double yes. feature. I tried reading the books. But, oh, my God, I don't need to know the details of the bathtub that his wife killed herself in. Oh, come on. It's four pages of detail. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm all about reading the book first. That's me. <clears throat> Would you believe I have a, huge, I have I have a huge play playlist of uh, songs from the 80s, and there is nothing from uh, Blinded Me With Science or Weird Science. Come on, that's pathetic. What is wrong with you? I don't know. Well, no, what's wrong with the person <laughs> put together the playlist? Jive. Turkeys. Do you realize that we have no idea? <laughs> What's that? What'd you just say? What did you is just it, say? Is his name Mikhail something or other? <laughs> how dare you? Arr. All right, everybody. We don't know how to end up episodes, so I'm just going to go ahead and just do we this. We don't. We really need to learn. No. The end. Goodbye. We, we need to take some uh, science classes. Maybe we'll learn. Maybe. All right. We're, we're, we're just pausing. We're, we're stalling again. Why don't people understand my intentions? Well,